Hope everyone's doing fine. This is Jeremy with the Christmas Tree Farming Podcast. It is the first week of March. So this is our podcast for February. Um, this month been a little bit busier than the previous month. But uh, just like everything, you know, farming related, I like to share the, uh, the wins and the losses, right? So this month we're going to share a little bit of a loss um, <clears throat> as you guys know, if you've been listening, we, we grow from seed and we transplant, we buy from a greenhouse and bulk plugs. And, uh, this year was probably the largest order we had placed. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we got the greenhouse plugs in, we potted them, we up potted them into larger size pots and, uh, we put them in plastic uh, carrying trays that sit on top of pallets uh, in our garage, which is really just a barn with a concrete floor. Well, uh, we watered them pretty much weekly. They didn't need a whole lot of water because they're just sitting inside of a dark garage uh, all winter. Well, we began pulling those out this past two weeks, and what we're finding out is that for whatever reason, either the cold which I just don't think it got that cold here um, or something else killed all of our uh, greenhouse plugs that we transplanted into quart size containers, quart. Um, almost all of, I would say 90% of the canane fur that we transplanted from the greenhouse, uh, they're all dead. One out of 10 uh, looks to be living the uh they all looked from when we pulled them out of the barn and put them into the hoop house they all were green um, but their foliage right was kind of hard you know so that's a sign and symptom i knew something may be wrong with with them so i'm not sure if it was cold or if it was lack of airflow I'm not sure. I'm relatively new to this much transplanting and storing things in fall. So that's kind of a lesson learned for me. Anyway, uh, but all of the larger transplants that we did that had a larger root. So only the smallest stuff. And I, and I say that I call them fours because they're about four inch root plug, a four inch by half inch or four inch by one inch um, plug, like a really small greenhouse plug. They they all bit it, so they didn't make it. But the stuff that in the I had some fours and some sixes, so the sixes were just a little bit bigger. They look about fifty fifty on those. But anything larger than that, anything that was like a three year old seedling, or uh, I think they're called twenties, which is twenty cubic units uh, of root on a greenhouse plug, like much larger. They're almost like three by five. Those seem to all be fine. All of the spruce seemed to be fine. It was canine fur that got hit. So um, live and learn. Talk to um, a couple other people that I don't know personally, but I've emailed back and forth just to ask them their opinion. It's, it, most people's opinion is it was, uh, even though I had them in those carrying cases, just having them in a in a room that had the concrete floor could have been bad on the on the littlest seedlings, 
And something I didn't think of was installing a fan in my, in my garage to keep airflow. Because we live in central Kentucky. Another thing that I didn't realize that could cause problems was sometimes in that garage, it actually gets above 45 degrees even, even during the winter. You know, sometimes it's warm outside and in that garage, it'll be 40 or 50 degrees. If, if they may have somehow broke dormancy and, you know, um, and then that killed them and cold snap coming back behind it. I just don't know. I don't know enough about it um, for fall transplanting. So, and I'll probably try my hand at it again this year with a small amount again, just to try to learn from it. But um, spring is the, I haven't had as many issues doing spring transplants and overwintering them after a a spring transplant as I had when I buy them as a fall transplant and put them immediately into cold storage. So, you know, live and learn. Um, This month we also, we stratified our chestnut seeds. We probably have about, I don't know, 250, 300 um, hybrid chestnuts that come from a Dunstan chestnut orchard. The uh, we still have some that are still stratifying in the in the refrigerator because their the taproot hadn't came out yet. So probably two hundred have been potted into tree pots, um, and about a hundred left stratifying. Uh, I did two methods of stratifying those seeds. One was I put them in pro. I put about a hundred of them in a in a Tupperware uh, container in our refrigerator with pro mix and just wet the pro mix down. So it wasn't like ringing wet, but it was pretty wet and stratifying the seeds in the refrigerator there for about three months. And it, it seemed to work fine. I maybe had one or two that had mold on them. The rest of them were, were perfect. And then the other method, the method that I only popped the top on it, I haven't dug down in it is, uh, I put, I buried a five gallon bucket full of sand and chestnut seeds. Um, so I'm going to go actually be checking that this week just to see the compare. By far, the sand in the bucket method is way easier, right? If you have the hole or you can dig auger hole out, um, it's just much easier. It takes up no space in your refrigerator. You know, I don't have a dedicated seed stratifying refrigerator yet. Maybe that's on the, <laughs> the end of one day. Uh, also, our Canane and Nordman fir seed uh, have finished code stratifying. We'll do a rinse on them this week and I'll start seeding those uh, into seed pots. Uh, we use a couple different methods. Primary method is like a is like a peat pellet and then there's a coconut pellet and, and then we actually still use just regular uh, greenhouse plug trays. I don't know, seed starting trays. Um, seed starting tray way cheaper uh, but Transplant shock is greater with the trees. The the peat pellet or the coconut core pellet is definitely more expensive per, you know, if you're doing thousands, but it is easier to handle and not hardly any transplant shock. So if you're upsizing, it's it's pretty, pretty decent. So moving everything out right now, um, greenhouse here, we got the sides. We already have the sides up with the doors open. Um, I only pretty much close the doors and, and the sides if it's, if it's going to drop below 30 degrees. So 
most of the time it stays up and on. And then, you know, we just got the greenhouse built. So I'm kind of learning the heat and how it works in there as far as what's too hot, what's not too hot. Never trying to let it get above 85. So we've got some fans in there. We've got three of the big fans that are installed in the top part of the greenhouse. So um, my thought process is probably heat of the summer, we'll probably have fans running as well to try to keep the temperature down below 85 degrees. Now, only our seed starting stuff is in the greenhouse. Anything that's already two years old, uh, I guess a year and a half to two years old, is going to be outside the greenhouse until winter. So if anybody has any info on, you know, using hoop houses or greenhouses for tree production, definitely let me know. Um, I'm, I'm going back and forth with, with uh, putting white plastic on in the wintertime or just swapping it out altogether with white plastic uh, or, or some sort of shade cloth. I really just don't know. This year will be my first year doing this, many, um, this amount of seed uh, into seed starters. Um, so I'm, in previous years, I just put a little shade cloth over them during the heat of the summer, but this would be a much larger endeavor. So, you know, anybody's got any info on that or any tips, I'm definitely open for that. Uh, this year, bought a new sprayer. Uh, up until now, I'd been using a backpack sprayer. You know, I've been watching people use their their tractor sprayers, pretty jealous. Um, but I've been up until this year, I've been using a backpack sprayer, and it was a hand pump backpack sprayer. So this year I went ahead and got one of the, I got a boomless 60-gallon Femco sprayer. It's a three-point hitch on the back of my tractor. The boom itself, um, I previously had a, a ATV sprayer a long time ago for food plots. And I had the worst, had the hardest time with the boom always hitting stuff and the nozzles breaking. And I really don't need to spray a large area at a time. I needed some flexibility because we've got two tractors. I've got one tractor that's a row tractor, which sits up off the ground a little higher. And then I've got a smaller John Deere 3 Series that is more my everyday task tractors full drive. But with a sprayer like this one, it only has three nozzles on it. So it has a spray bar on the back. No boom, just a spray bar. It's a seven-foot bar. On each end of the bar, it has a... I call it a blast nozzle. So it has a blast nozzle that shoots about 12 to 15 feet, really about 10 feet. So you got a blast nozzle on one end that, that rains down for, you know, it's a mist blast about 10 feet out on one side and then same thing on the other side. And then the one in the middle is a flat, like it just covers straight down flat type uh, of angle. Well, in most cases I can use the row tractor uh, now I only do one row at a time and I, I know some people have got their set up perfectly because their rows are, are the right space. And in the future, I, I may get a little bit better at that. But right now my rows are either seven feet apart or eight feet apart. So I couldn't really set it up to have two rows. So my thought is while the trees are young for the first three, three years of life, I can with the row tractor, I can drive right over top of each row and spray down right over top, uh, pre-bud and, and, and post-Labor Day. And that'll speed me up quite a bit without having to refill my backpack every other row and get my mix, and my mix always varying. So if I get my mix right in my tank, my 60-gallon tank, with what I've got planted now, almost two acres, I could, I could probably 
you know, 60 gallons is probably what I need for both of those acres. So about 30 gallons each. I get my mix just right with my herbicides. Only got to do it once. Now I'm going to do split application, uh, just like with the backpack. I'll do half the recommended dose, and then I'll wait two weeks, and I'll do, I'll do the other half the recommended dose just to, just to spread it out a little bit. That helps you with um, at least what I've seen. It helps with if you don't get any rain initially, you get two chances at it. it, it you know, so that's, that's going to be the goal. And then, so with that sprayer, my hopes are currently that as the trees get larger, I would turn on just the nozzle to the inside row and angle it down. You know, I could, because it's a three-point hitch, I can push it closer to the ground, uh, you know, and then angle it down at a 45 or, or, or near angle and just hit to the one side of, you know, each row, um, potentially doing both rows at the same time, but primarily just one row so you can drive right next to the trees and spray straight down. And you, could, you just have to drive up and down each row. So that will take a little longer on the larger trees. But again, you could still only do that for a year or two before they start really filling in. By the time the trees get to year, I'd say seven, eight, and nine, I'm probably not fitting down the rows with my tractor. And then, you know, if we're still podcasting by then, we'll know what the solution is. But I'd say we're going to be back to the backpack on that situation. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I've, I've seen some retrofitted four-wheelers that, that have done a little something to make a little shield in the front so the trees don't whack you in the face. So more to follow on that. Also, what I got going on this month uh, in March uh, soil samples going to for my for for next year's planting field. I'm taking uh, zigzag soil samples for the acre that I'm planting next year. So next spring, so a year out, soil samples are getting delivered so that I can get the amount of sulfur and any of the other micronutrients that I may need, and get half of that laid down now and get the other half down in fall. Uh, oh, another lesson learned: fall planting. All right, I planted two rows of Meyer spruce this fall. We used the, uh, the dirt. The dirt had been worked over really well in fall. I actually had topsoil uh, from the back farm hauled back up to the front so we could use it. So the, the dirt was really disturbed and really mixed up good. So, you know, it was a good, good bed. However, with, with it sinking and us just planting small, smaller type plugs, and these these are you know twenties. These are pretty good sized plugs. These are like half quart size containers, right? Uh, the ground spit them out. So a lot of these these are going to be losses as well. I've replanted them since then, but I went out and checked them two weeks ago, and a lot of them were where the where the ground had had sunk in and settled so much the the tree itself half of its roots or more than half of its roots were exposed the you know the green the the pot plug were exposed so i you know i think another lesson that i've learned is uh we need to get this dirt i need to get these fields prepped over a year in advance so saying all that to say i probably will do my entire uh field prep this spring no later than early summer and not touch anything in the fall anymore uh even if i want to plant in the fall 
I think I need to have the field done a year in advance. I don't need to be working on the field, you know, the month of planting because that ground just needs to settle so much. I need a, I need six to nine months of settling and uh, all that to, to, to plant in it, get the cover crop on it and then terminate it in the, in the fall prior to planting. So working on my schedule, I hope that helps somebody out there. You know, we're learning lessons and hopefully you guys can learn from them as well. Uh, that's all I got. I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.